can have lots of high-tech fun with Tiger's Talkboy tape recorder. It even has speed control. Hi, kids. We're home early. Hi, kids. We're home early. Tiger's Talkboy tape recorder comes with audio cassette. Batteries not included. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwint. And I'm Steve Parkhurst. And we're back after a bit of a hiatus. A little, little bit of a break. We decided to move to a place that we don't hate. And so we did that. That's what we've been doing. <laughs> For uh, quite a while. So our mental health has improved, which probably means the quality of the podcast will decline. <laughs> we're just too happy to be entertaining at yeah, this point. I mean, great art only comes from misery, which is why we put That's out so much great art in LA. Yeah, uh, I, the most good art. So this, the best art. I was uh, able to write so many things that were really good. We did do 30 episodes of a podcast. Somehow. That's, That's incredible. pretty pretty solid. And, yeah. you know, they're not bad. <laughs> Check out our uh, our back catalog. It's not bad. It's fine. It's if, fine. If you need something that isn't like too strenuous to listen to, sure. Why not? Give it a give it a try. Give it a whirl. Today we are going to be diving into the MCU. Yeah, a bit of a departure. Isn't this a '90s podcast? You might say you're doing the MCU. What could that mean? It's the McAllister Cinematic Universe. <laughs> twist. That's right. We're doing Home Alone. The Homes Alone. The Homes Alone. Two of the Homes Alone. There's a lot of Homes Alone. In this household, we only recognize the first two Homes Alone as canon. That is, I mean, yeah, like the- Only the Macaulay Culkin- You need to have a Culkin involved for this to count as a Home Alone. I'm a little surprised they didn't get Kieran as he kind of aged up a bit, like- yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it was the stigma was too much. They just didn't want to have another Culkin because Macaulay got weird there for a little while. But like, but not there that was early. not that early. Yeah, on. that's true. There, there was time to have Fuller be ha- like have his own movie or two. I feel that actually like. would have probably been very fun, right? Maybe that was. The problem is they put Home Alone 2 into production, like, like opening weekend The of day Home Alone. after it had released, <laughs> yeah. So I guess before we get into our, uh, you know, sort of fantasy Home Alones, yeah. Homes Alone. Homes Alone. Uh, apologies. But yes, this is, so this is like our, our Christmassy episode, our holiday episode. Merry, it's just Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, f- featuring the most disgusting way anyone has ever eaten a piece of pizza. Yeah, that really bothered you. It really did. It continues to this day. I think I'm going to have some nightmares about it. It. I didn't even notice until you pointed it out, but yeah. Uh, we're is it doing... because you're also disgusting? No. <laughs> I don't think I've so. I've never seen Steve eat a pizza eat a piece of pizza the way Buzz does in I mean, Home Alone. I just, should just hope for not. the record. I don't want I I'm just having a bit of fun. A little, oh, little no. Christmas razzing. That classic Christmas tradition of just absolutely <laughs> ethering your husband. Yeah. You know. For being a disgusting little piggy. He's not disgusting. But Buzz is. Uh, who's the actor who played Buzz? Devin Rattray. Devin Rattray. He's great. He's in a bunch of stuff. He he went on to have quite a career after this. And uh, also turns up in one of the lesser known Homes Alone that we won't discuss in detail. Oh, does he really? In the latest one, the one uh, oh. with Kimmy Schmidt. What a weird... Just trying to, uh, just trying to milk it. And we, it makes sense. We'll get into how much insane money these movies made in yes, a little bit. They were hits and what's Home Alone came out in 1990, so this is this is quite quite a while ago and it does very much hold up. It's kind of remarkable how well structured it is and I think it speaks I know I've talked about this in other episodes about like the lack of 
quality screenwriting in modern blockbuster movies. But I remember even as a kid, this movie getting kind of roasted critically. People were like, this movie is terrible. It's so unrealistic, which like, first of all, it's a kid's movie. But people, I remember the big criticism was like, this is a terrible movie. It's so bad. And like, it's well made. It's well constructed. Like the script is pretty rock solid. And it doesn't have any of the racism or, like, sexism. Like, it's a genuine, like, John Hughes unproblematic banger here. Because, you know, Harry and Marv are just gross criminals. Yeah, Yeah, like, yes, the McAllisters are quite wealthy. But but that's kind of... That's that's just how how we rolled. Uh, Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, I love a good politic in my movies, especially when the politic agrees with me. But, like, I don't need politics in Home Alone. I I don't need, like, class warfare or Yeah, I don't need Eat the Rich from from a family Christmas movie. I want pratfalls, pranks, and jabs and such. such. (laughs) I I just want to have a a nice time watching a little kid beat the shit out of some adults. I want to cry when... Kevin's mom arrives home, as I do every time, without fail. It's not quite Paddington 2 waterworks. No, no. That's just uncontrolled sobbing. Well, like, you've got Paddington (laughs) 2, and you've got that scene in Everything Everywhere, where, like, you were just a blubbering mess. (laughs) No spoilers, but everyone should watch Everything Everywhere all at once. Most people probably have by now, but yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) You've got your trigger yeah, scenes. Yeah, you, you certainly do. Things with moms. How interesting. Huh, nothing to unpack there, I'm sure. Let's move on. It's totally fine. But yes, Home Alone is a banger. We've all seen Home Alone. There's no reason to sort of recap this. But some uh, listeners, our listener, may be asking, is this an action movie? Of course Of course it is. And that settles that. That's it. I don't, you know, do I need to explain why? It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. But also there is like actual action. There's lots of stunts. There's violence. There's so much. There's a lot of violence. It really steps it up in Home Alone 2. But Home Alone 1 is no slouch. Like, you know, people are permanently disfigured. There is a... It's baby John Wick. Holy shit. Yeah, it is Baby John Wick. <laughs> it's also Baby Predator. Like, oh. basically, so I would argue the first two-thirds of this movie probably don't count as an action movie. Some stuff happens, but for he, the he most part... He goes on the sled out the door. Sure, he does. That's action. That felt like, oh, we need to... There's a chase scene. The the guy, the the drugstore clerk chases him. Sort yeah. Look, it's Baby's first action movie. That's well, all I'm saying. Yes, and like those are fun little moments. I wouldn't say those alone make it an action movie, but then the third act happens, and it's it's just a cacophony. Like it's just one stunt oh. after another, oh. and of course that's the stuff everybody remembers is uh, when Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern break into the house and hijinks ensue, and get they get their asses handed to them. They sure do. And some third degree burns. <laughs> yeah, lots. Yeah, Joe Pesci, I can't remember if it was in the first Home Alone or the second Home Alone, but apparently when his head is on fire, like, he had some some pretty rough burns. His head was on fire. Yeah, there it was, you know. I feel like that was a thing at the time where it's just like, there's a small chance you will be maimed or die from this uh, stunt we're going to do. Like, our safety precautions just really are more of a suggestion than a precaution. (laughs) That feels like a a thing you see pop up in a lot of movies. Yeah, someone is always getting pretty pretty severely injured. Like, this extended even into the early 2000s, I want to say, where, like, I don't know if anyone remembers in The Two Towers where Viggo Mortensen kicks a helmet. Oh, everyone remembers that scene. I, I I mean, we remember it because we just watched it. I had to watch it for a different podcast, but, uh, you know, some, some people may need their memory jogged. Uh, so he actually broke his foot kicking that helmet. Was it his foot helmet. or just a toe? Just a toe? Well, your toe is on your foot. Well, I mean, it's on your foot, but it is a Maybe separate it was entity. just a toe, but he, he, he broke a bone while doing that. That scream that he does is the scream of someone who just broke their foot. Who is breaking a bone. 
That also, though, that feels like small potatoes. Like, if you gave me a choice, like, hey, Steve, you can break a toe or get a third-degree burn. I think I would on break your my, head. On your head. I think I'd break my toe. Oh, yeah, for sure. It feels like, oh, you, you broke your toe. That's cute. Light your head on fire. Yeah, that's pretty... I'm sure there there are stuntmen from the Lord of the Rings who got oh, yeah. some burns. Just <laughs> obliterated. Yeah. Uh, but this is, uh, this is, I think, it slides in as an action movie because it all builds so nicely to that third act and then really delivers. It just is quite a show. It really does. And there's there's momentum throughout. Yeah. It builds very nicely. And what's what really works for me is that everyone in this movie is in their own movie. And, it, like, the movies are all, like, tonally similar, so that's fine. Kevin's mom, beautiful, wonderful Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara, Angel. <laughs> <laughs> she is in her own movie, mm-hmm. like John Kev- Candy and his crew. They're in their own and movie. They happen to intersect with Catherine yeah. O'Hara's. Kevin is in his own movie. The old man is in his own little. He's got. It, it's fascinating to see this arc that they build for this old man, like. Yeah. The, the neighbor, it's not that many scenes, but they structure them very well and they build in each scene. And that's what uh, I was saying earlier about this being structured very well is that everybody has a character arc that they follow through on. Everyone has growth and change and kind of something to do, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll get into with the second movie where that kind of falls apart because like this one, Kevin has his arc and it's basically like, oh, I hate my family. I wish I were left alone. And then he gets his wish and then he has to learn why he would actually rather have his family, why family is important. This and that's is a actually, lovely message. better than Wonder Woman 84. It does the wish thing better. Like obviously Kevin's wish does not actually come true. I would argue breaking my own toe is better than Wonder Woman 84. I'd lay my head on fire. There's a more defined arc in breaking your toe. You break it and then it heals. Right. (laughs) It actually, yeah, there's a logic. There's an internal logic to a broken toe that you don't get in Wonder Woman And that is, there is a groundedness to this. You do, yes, it's a bit out there. Like, oh my God, you you really didn't notice that your child, one of your children wasn't there. But I feel like the way they set it up is actually kind of understandable. Kind of plausible. Well, that's what's so impressive is like for a movie that I remember people kind of lambasting as unrealistic and like, yeah, the kid can't do all those things. Yeah, sure, he wouldn't set it up, whatever. It's a fucking kids movie, relax. But like, actually, before that, it feels like the screenwriters, John Hughes, (laughs) really went through a lot of trouble to sell how this kid got left behind. And it is kind of believable. It is. The chaos of the house in, in the very beginning is the perfect setup to this premise. They even have that other kid come over so, you know, yeah. he's turned away from the girl he's as she's great. doing the head count. He's great. Yeah. Just chattering and like, you just know. Just bothering the van drivers and just chattering and, and asking for them to bring him stuff from Paris. Like, it's a very believable neighborhood brat, like a Dennis the Menace in his own right. He's got his He's in his own. On. They're going to Florida. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I actually think they did a great job, certainly better than the second movie does, in selling like how Kevin would get left behind. And like, I have no problem with it at all. I think it's totally like, I think it's fine. And I think him, you know, he's only eight. So him being like, Oh my God, I made my family. Like he still believes in Santa Claus. So like the idea of a wish coming true is not Not super far fetched. Yeah. Yeah. There's that fun moment where he's talking to the Santa Claus, another guy who's in his own movie. Yes. He has, he drives this shitty Honda, Honda, like that is rusted out. And then at the end of the scene, he goes to drive away and the car won't start. And it's just like this, those little touches. Like he had to drive down to this wealthy suburb. Yeah. He probably lives like just over Milwaukee the border or... in like a, like a shitty, like the outskirts of Milwaukee or something. But like, you know, he, you've got this nice moment, I think with Kevin where he's like, I know how this works. I know you're not the real Santa Claus, but you report to him. Yeah. And that's almost, that to me is a very charming moment of like a believable eight year old being like, I'm world weary. I understand yeah. how things are, but he's still a little kid. That's, that's nice. Yeah. I, I thought that was very well written. 
There are a number of those moments that are really nice. Like I, my favorite scene in this movie is the old man in the church with Kevin. And it's, it's honestly kind of surprising. And it's what takes this movie from a kid's movie to a family movie for me, because it's very much like an adult perspective of like, families are complicated. Sometimes you hurt the people you love and that sucks and you wish you could take it back, but you feel like you can't. And that's like a very adult thing that a lot of adults can relate to, but it's done in a way where it's very child friendly. You know, it's a good introduction to like, here's why mommy and grandma don't talk, you know? I think that is a really good point, especially with like current family movies, the ones that I have seen. I think, you know, Pixar is kind of considered the creme de la creme of family movies. But I think a lot of more recent Pixar movies have lost that. And it's oops, all adult themes, whereas Home Alone has adult themes and has things that adults can relate to and have gone through, but then is still about pratfalls and pranks and japes. Uh, whereas like, and an eight year old's perspective on what it, what does it mean to be in like a big family where you can feel forgotten? But like a lot of Pixar movies now are just like, here's an adult perspective about an adult situation and adults doing adult things, but it looks like a cartoon. So it's for kids. And it's like, "Ah." that was what was interesting about Encanto, uh, which I didn't see, which I I did see. And it was fine. Fine. It Mm -hmm. was kind of fine. Um, Pixar or Disney? Oh, good question. But I can't, it's They've kind of destroyed the brand by, by mixing everything together. So Disney's Encanto is, is weird because it feels very, adult problem like i have it's disney it's it not is pixar. just disney there's yeah. no pixar involvement no. well i'm gonna talk about i'm gonna continue no, talking I mean, about it anyway I, but uh, like you said it is kind of hard to differentiate the two now like i there's really no real difference between pixar no. and disney in terms of their animation they look the same they cover mm-hmm. the same topics they don't seem to really go after different demographics or age groups anymore no uh so i think you you can be forgiven i didn't know you can be forgiven for not Being knowing like, oh, the difference anymore. Yeah. So Disney's Encanto is very much about like an adult woman who she doesn't have a special, whatever. Like it's interesting to me to, to focus on that. And it's still considered a family movie. Kids love it. I don't want to like sure. take anything away from the movie. But when you compare it to sort of a live action, no shit family movie, those are pretty hard to come by it feels like i was just kind of thinking like what was the last live action family movie i guess you get stuff like um clifford the big red dog came out last year wasn't like paramount or something yeah there's clifford there was some but even those they feel more like kids movies instead of Family movies. Yeah. Was it, I feel like the Lego movie is... It's not a, really live action. It's not live action, but that's kind of the last family-ish movie. That's a good... That would be a good family movie. You know, the, a lot of people talk about how romantic comedies are a dying breed, which I agree with. Yes. I feel like there's less attention paid to family movies. And yeah. like there's movies aimed at little kids. And then you yeah. basically got Disney Pixar putting out more or less the same kind of movie a couple of times a year. Yeah. And I guess those are sort of what we have for, those are animated, but yeah. like, but like, where's, where's like the parent trap? Mm. Where's home alone? Not here. Oh yeah. Yeah. We don't have them anymore. Even so, like star Wars is family friendly. The star Wars movies are, but they're not family movies. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call star Wars the, the new movies, right. a family movie. Huh? Yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot, really. Yeah. Which is funny because Disney is like the most powerful media company was, on was, earth. Yeah. Was Chris Columbus like the last family movie director? And then he did Rent and all of a sudden it was like, we've killed the genre. <laughs> yeah. So Chris Columbus was the director of Home Alone and Home Alone 2 and was a very successful director in the 90s. And his focus was definitely on family movies. He did Mrs. Doubtfire. Which we can't do that for this podcast, but it is a movie I do want to revisit. I actually 
really not in action. <laughs> I watched it not that long ago, within the last couple of years. It's weird. Yeah, it's a when you actually think about the premise, that is a very weird movie. It's not even so much the premise. I mean, yeah, the premise is weird, but just like Robin Williams's character is the villain of that movie. Yeah, like, Pierce Brosnan is up. like the hero. Pierce Brosnan is a is a sweetie in that <laughs> yeah. movie. Like. Sally Field, she moved up. <laughs> like, she really, of course she's not going to leave Pierce to go back to Robin no, Williams. No, 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 And also, like, Pierce Brosnan isn't a jerk in that movie. He's very understanding. He's, he's very the patient. Kids. The kids love him. He's very nice. There's no moment where he's like, oh, turns out he's using Sally Field right. for her money or no, cheating on just... her or anything. He's just a lovely man. And it's kind of funny that, like, it's from the point of view of Robin Williams. If you rewrote that script a little bit, Robin, it could be a horror movie. Yeah. Where Robin Williams infiltrates yeah. this family, sort of single white females them and like kills everybody. Like that could be the alternate Mrs. Doubtfire. But anyway, that's not what the movie is. Chris Columbus directed it. That was a huge hit. He is so good with kids. And I think that's why, you know, the first two Harry Potter movies were so successful because they brought in the family movie guy. Like, yeah, he felt like a natural successor to Spielberg in that sense. Yeah. He's, he's not as good of a filmmaker, but no. he is as good with kids. Like he gets great performances out of kids in a way that I think is monumentally difficult. I have no idea how to get that kind of performance no, out of a child. Yeah. So the people who can do it well, like that is an underappreciated talent. Mm hmm. Because I, how the hell do you do that? Yeah. Wow. Like all of the adults in, this movie are fantastic. They're great. I mean, what's really funny to think about is so Home Alone comes out in November of 1990. Two months earlier, almost to the day, Goodfellas hits theaters. <laughs> the year of Pesci. So in September, it's Goodfellas. And in November, it's Home Alone. Yeah, Pesci is just... Crushing, crushing it. it. But in very, very different Such genres. different ways. Uh, but memorable in both. Like he was sort of the the centerpiece of of both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he wasn't the main character in either, ev- that's what everyone remembers. Everyone remembers Pesci. Yeah. So it's funny that yeah he had such an impact in 1990. And then my cousin Vinny was in 1992, so he went on a tear. Wow. The early 90s just oops all Pesci. Pesci is great in this. Catherine O'Hara is great in this. John Hurd is is yeah. John Hurd uh, actually reminded me a lot of like one of my parents' friends. Oh. He kind of looks like him, <laughs> so uh, that was always a weird uh, uh, kind of thing for me. Anytime I saw him. Speaking of seeing this movie as children, what's your experience, or what was your first experience with Home Alone? I don't remember my first experience. It feels as though Home Alone has simply always been kind of part of the holiday viewing experience for me. There, It feels like there was never a time when I wasn't aware of this movie, which makes sense because yeah. in, 90, in 1990, I was three, so I probably wouldn't have been aware of it until you know, a couple years later or something. And by then it was probably just kind of around. Yeah, that makes sense. I would have been five. Uh, So I actually had very little experience with Home Alone when when I was a little kid. Uh, And I think it's because my parents thought it was a bad influence. Oh, for sure. Which does make sense. Like Kevin and Bart Simpson were like the scourges of parents across the United States. What's funny is I do remember watching a movie called Problem Child. (laughs) Do you remember that movie? I I know the name, but it is very funny that you got to watch a movie that's literally called Problem Child. So there was a movie called Problem Child that also came out in 1990 that is basically just like, hey, check out this kid. What a little shit he is. (laughs) John Ritter's in it as the dad. And for whatever reason, I saw that movie, but that was in the same vein of like, Little shit mm-hmm. causing problems. Yeah. Uh, and I think my parents were kind of mad. I don't know how I saw it. 
without their permission or maybe they rented it without realizing. Right. And then they they late, messed up somehow. I think they must yeah. have messed up. But yeah, I wasn't allowed to see Home Alone. The first time I saw it is when I was at a babysitter's house. Like my parents dropped me off at like mm-hmm. one of my sister's friend's houses and she babysat me. So I think it was like a few years after it had come out. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited. Oh she gosh. had it on VHS and I was, she popped it in and I was thrilled because, you know, I'd heard about it all these years and never been able to see it. And finally I was getting to, and I, I had did a great time. Did it live time. up to the hype? Yeah. I think it did. I think it did live up to the hype. I think I had a really nice time. And then I do remember like, I think I saw Home Alone 2 not long after it came out. I think my parents had maybe kind of given up at that point. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. That makes sense. He can, he can watch whatever. Right. Like, I also remember my parents let me watch Pulp Fiction not long after it came out. So I think at a certain point, they just kind of, they were up. done. Yeah. You know, probably around when you were ten, nine or 10 or something. Yeah. Pulp just, Fiction was 94. So like 10, probably like 95, 96. They let me see it. Like, okay, whatever. It was that home, on home video. I remember yeah. that. Um, they made me leave the room for that one scene and then I could watch the rest. <laughs> The, the basement scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I figured. So they weren't the, you know, they, they did have they some They were boundaries. totally derelict yeah. in their duties. But yeah, Home Alone 2, I actually, I, I know I saw it at least once, but I don't really, I didn't remember much of it until we started watching it. I remembered almost nothing. I feel like I remembered the trailer. <laughs> right? Like whatever trailer might have I might have seen. Yeah, I uh, I did see it, but I re- kind of retained nothing from it. Uh, and I think I retained a lot more from the first Home Alone, but maybe that's just because it sort of osmosed its way into popular culture. Yeah, a lot of that, you know, down to the music, I yeah. feel like it's just instantly... Iconic? Yeah, basically. Like most fucking John Williams stuff. Which- I know he's... A cottage industry now. Sure. Like. But also, uh, what's weird is it sounds almost Danny Elfman-like. It does. In, There's a whimsy the to it. Yeah. There's a dark whimsy. Yeah. Yeah, it could be Nightmare Before Christmas. or But no, it's Williams. And I mean, it's great. You know, like, they're both great. That's that's my memory of that movie. Yeah. But we never had it on VHS. I didn't watch it a lot as a kid. I don't think we had it on VHS, but it must have... Played on, t- or maybe the neighbors. Uh, there was there were two kids a few houses down that our families were relatively close, and I bet they had it. Sure, you made a, a good observation. Oh my god! Uh, while we were watching this movie, which the, is that it's basically a feature length. Old enough. Don't know if any of our listeners have seen this wonderful little TV show. It's Japanese. It's on Netflix. It's called Old Enough. And they send tiny little... The tiniest. The tiniest little tots. You know, they're they're like two, three, four years old. Some yeah. of them are maybe five. I think, I think it maybe it, it tops out at like five or six, but yeah. most of them are like three years old. It's, it's kind of crazy. crazy. <laughs> uh, and obviously like it's produced. They've got a bunch of... They have of camera people uh, camera and producers people, watching producers, every step. Handlers. So like the children are never ever in any danger. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, but like it's an adorable little show, you know, where it's just like every episode, one or two kids get sent off to do a little errand, mm-hmm. you know, down in the local town. It's always in kind of these small rural Japanese mm-hmm. towns. Um, and it's like go to the store and pick up some some food for dinner mm-hmm. or something. And that's it. That's Or, the whole or thing. like go deliver daddy's uniform or something. Yeah. yeah. But like that's basically this movie is like Kevin isn't old enough until he is. And he then Learns. He learns, we learn he is old enough. He learns self-sufficiency. It's it's very nice. And like more kids these days need that, I say, as somebody who doesn't have any kids. Nope. And that's for the best. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you raise a self-sufficient child? Leave them home alone. I guess. Right? While well, you go to Paris. You know? I guess that's why we used to play grocery store and stuff uh, as, as kids, where we would practice paying for groceries and writing checks. Oh, wow. Because my mom, my mom paid for groceries with checks for like, sure. Till last year or something. (laughs) I think it took her, 
well into my teen years, I'm pretty sure, to start using like a debit card. I remember my dad uh, writing checks at like the local shop and save. We could never leave the house on time because he could never find his checkbook. Oh my God. That was the number one thing he misplaced, even though it was in his fucking front pocket every time. Oh no. Uh, But yeah, like checks. We, I don't think we ever did anything like that. I think my parents just kind of like sent us outside like, go do whatever. Yeah. See you tonight. Like, not to be like back in my day, but like, we were just sort of left to fend for ourselves quite a bit. Uh, like, my dad worked nights and then my mm-hmm. mom had a day job. So there's, they were spread thin. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. You guys seem fine. Go, go play in the river. Try not to drown. Yeah. There was, you know, I had to take care of my younger siblings while my parents worked, you know, during the summer in sure. particular. It was just like, just keep them fed. Don't let them. Don't kill them. Right? Yeah. Yeah, my older sister had to take care of me and, uh, you know, only left me to be devoured by coyotes a couple of times. Just once that I actually remember. There we go. It was only one Slander. (laughs) (laughs) Couple times. One time. One time. But there was a coyote. There was. You know where there aren't coyotes? I don't know. New York City. Actually, there might be coyotes there now. They're They're everywhere. I think think there actually are. I think I saw like a Gothamist article once. Oh my God. Well, okay. There weren't coyotes in New York Uh, in 1992. Now. Which was where Home Alone 2 So Home Alone 2 uh, came out in 1992. It is the quintessential 90s sequel in that. (laughs) Let's talk about why there even was a sequel in the first place. Oh, yeah. And it's because Home Alone made... All the money. So much. An unbelievable amount of money for 1990 and for what it cost. Steve, what did it cost? So uh, it costs about $18 million to make. Uh, I don't know if that number is counting for inflation or not. Ooh, good question. Let's, who cares? So (laughs) it costs $18 million and made about $476 million. So half a billion dollars. I actually looked this up because I'd heard it once before. It's it's kind of hard to tell. There's a couple articles talking about like the most profitable movies and that doesn't mean the highest grossing. Right. Compared like, to its You know, like Avatar is yeah. the highest grossing, but it also cost just an absolute shit ton <laughs> of money to make. So that doesn't that means it's not the most profitable. Right. Uh, but Home Alone is arguably one of like the top 10 most profitable movies, depending on where you look. I believe that. Uh, and it makes sense. Like that is just so much money. And there really aren't that many locations in the movie. No, that one house, like it was just a house yeah. in, 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 Wilmette. in, yeah, in Chicago in the Chicago suburbs, the very probably just wealthy a, Chicago yeah, suburbs. Just a friend just, of John's. Right? Probably. All his movies took place in Chicago. Once you realize just how astronomically profitable this movie was, like some other Instantly. ones, usually a movie like this profitable has to be a horror movie. Those tend to be the ones mm-hmm. that make the most. Yeah, because the ratio have, is just so yeah, favorable. Like the Blair Witch Project, Get Out, uh, the original Friday the 13th, mm. uh, the Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. Like all those movies are up there as being the most profitable because they're dirt cheap to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rare for a non-horror movie to have that kind of profit margin. So it does make sense that they would want to fast oh, yeah. track a Just sequel. immediately, especially because a huge part of the success was Macaulay Culkin, this this small, very angelic-looking, precocious child who isn't going to remain that way for long. So basically, you got to green light it because Culkin's not getting any younger. Immediately. And what is it? Like, he does seem to not really have aged. That's what's impressive, uh, is that they did get this going very quickly because nobody seems to have aged that much. Even, no, even Kieran Even Culkin. Kieran looks like basically Did they the shoot same. these both at the same time? Was this a Lord of the Rings situation? I, I couldn't find... I didn't see that. I guess I, did, I didn't really look all that hard. I mean, I no, I don't think they did because, yeah, there's no way they would have known it was going to be this kind of a Surely sensation. Not. Yeah. Uh, so the second one... Kind of does that thing. I always think of The Hangover 2 with with sequels like this, which I don't know if you ever saw it. I think so, but I don't remember It's bad. Like, I I was a big fan of the first Hangover, like most guys my age were at the time. And then the second one was... 
it felt intentional. It it felt like a joke that the they were mm. pulling on the public. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we do the exact same thing beat for beat? And I don't know if that's true or if they were just lazy, but either way... Are that's, they commenting on nine, 80s and 90s sequels? If they were, they did too much commenting. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, 22 Jump Street did it way better. Yeah, Home Alone 2 is just beat for beat. It's pretty wild. Except they do this thing where they have the basically the same there's the the pigeon lady is the old man from the first one the old man neighbor and then Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are they're back but then they you also introduce other like stand-ins that fulfill the same function narratively like the toy store owner who is basically pigeon lady and old man part do you've got tim curry there and sort of the bumbling hotel employees of the plaza hotel like him and his crew rob schneider yeah who who act as antagonists for like much of the film and it's a little unclear as to why they are antagonists yeah like this little kid is in this hotel using a stolen credit card you think i would think as as an adult professional in a setting like this you'd be like ah this kid has stolen a credit card we need to find this kid's parents or guardians or something yeah not just like kick him out of the hotel. Yeah, they take elements, and it's John Hughes who did the script again, so I I can only imagine that he had three weeks to write this. And they shot the first draft. Like, I I do genuinely think that this just, that no one had any time. Yeah. And that's why this happened, where they take elements that worked really well in the first one that people responded very positively to, like some of the more slapsticky elements that were nonetheless still fairly grounded, like Pesci and Stern's reactions to being horribly burned, nailed, yeah, like those are relatively realistic. You know, there's a few moments where it's a little cartoony, but mostly fairly grounded. But they take elements like that and just ramp up the cartoonishness and they bring in a guy they bring in people like rob schneider and tim curry and i can't believe i'm saying this but they misuse (laughs) tim curry tim curry but also kind of rob schneider too Yeah, I mean, I guess at this point... Maybe every use of Rob Schneider is a misuse. Yeah, never use him. (laughs) But also at this point, I don't think anyone had really figured out kind of what his shtick was yet. He was very young. I think Mm -hmm. he he either hadn't started or had just started SNL at this point. But like for the Tim Curry stuff, you know, they do the... Remember the old movie with... Uh, Ooh, Daniel yeah. Stern and the pizza guy in the first one and how funny that was and how well that worked. Let's do it again, but this time with the uh, hotel employees. And it's, like not, the it's not going to make any sense at all. And what's so weird about that is you're writing both. You're, they made, you know, it's even filthier angels or whatever, yeah. which is, you know, that's fun. But like you can make what they're saying like jibe a little more with what will happen t- with Tim Curry and the hotel staff. Why Why not just make it a little more matchy? It's also weird. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can pick apart in this movie and we can't spend the whole time doing no. that. But like, it is weird that in the first movie, there's a door separating yeah. the, you know, the fake movie from the character who is overhearing it. And in this one, the whole crew walks into the hotel room and then supposedly the movie is just in the other room with like an open door. Yeah. Like all they have to do is peek into the room. Yeah. And you can tell sound from a television has a different quality than sound from a person speaking. And like if there is a closed door in between you, it's less noticeable. Right. Yeah. So it's just little stuff like that where it feels like because of this was clearly very rushed, clearly they didn't have time to really write the script. But but I'm sure the edict handed down from Fox was do it all again. Yeah, do literally everything. single beat. Oh, you guys want to be in New York? Yes. Yeah. Go big. Have a pigeon lady instead of the next door neighbor. The pigeon lady subplot is really bad. Yeah. Really bad. The, the reason the old man neighbor plot works is, like I said, they build towards it. It's, it's a very effective 
pacing and use of, of the guy. Whereas in this movie, it feels like they have their church talk too early. It's not too early in the movie in terms of runtime, but it's too early in those characters' relationship. Kevin doesn't know her. Yeah, it's weird because, like, the old man, you know, you get uh, Kevin's older brother. Uh, Buzz. Buzz. You get Buzz kind of doing that older brother thing of, like, that guy, he's responsible for killing his whole family, blah, blah, blah. And so we get that, you know, we get the kid's perspective. Then we see the old man a couple of times before the church scene happens. Whereas this, we see the pigeon lady once. And then the next time we see her, they have their talk. And it just, that's not enough time. Not enough has been established. Like, who is this lady? Right. Is there anything about her that we should know or that, you know, is a misconception that the kid has? And there is, what's really a bummer is, yes, the old man's sort of, sad story is a little vague. It's, you know, he and his son had an argument. He doesn't get to see his granddaughter anymore, but it feels specific enough. Whereas the pigeon lady's tragic backstory, the reason she is homeless and lives in Central Park with the pigeons and is dirty and blah, is because she was in love once and they broke up. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't want to. She she ran away from love ever since, and it's like that's not why she's homeless. What what are you talking about? This is awful. She could just have a studio apartment if she's single. Like that's right? not enough to explain why how she found. Did she herself. overstay her visa? Like right? yeah, she's Irish. I right. Believe. That I have heard that that does happen. Sure. Uh, and like okay, fine. But yeah, none of that is... It basically, I think the the movie tries to do too many different things where it's like, all right, we've got to set this in New York. It's got to be different enough from the first movie. There's new locations, new stuff happening, but we got to hit all the beats of the old movie. Mm-hmm. And so you get this kind of fractured, schizophrenic mm-hmm. kind of plotting where like things happen. Like You kind of don't see Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci for... Like the a first really hour, long time. you get like a scene with them, but then it's like, okay, they're going to rob a toy store. And then, so, oh, we have to have Kevin have an interaction to the toy store. with the toy store owner. And he, so he yeah, it can't just be, motivated. it can't just be a cashier who lets him know, oh, we donate all the proceeds to this kid's hospital. Right. It has to be the owner. I don't know why, because then you have a second charming, precocious heart to heart moment. Right. And technically, it's the first. Yeah, that happens first. Uh, but it's like, oh, wow, this feels... Again, this is the same beat, but it isn't earned. And also, like, what? Then there's Pigeon Lady. Kevin's only interaction with the children's hospital is he walks past it and waves at a kid in the window. There's no other interaction with any characters. Yeah. Kevin doesn't end up there because he gets injured. Or and they don't... Like, they, they don't take him in after he gets kicked out of the hotel. Right. Like, there's no real... Other than, like, it's kind of just shorthand for a good charitable cause, mm-hmm. which fine. But, like, you, the connective tissue of the whole movie is just so thin and mm-hmm. threadbare. And, like, it seems kind of silly to pick apart a children's movie or a movie for kids. That's the this problem, much. though, is it feels like a movie for kids instead of, like, a, a, family, a movie. family movie. It, it very much is, like, let's play to the kids. They don't give a shit if any of this stuff makes sense. But also I think like one reason I feel like it's worth going harder on Home Alone 2 is because of how well put together the first Home Alone is. Mm -hmm. Like that the attention to detail and the time they took to kind of sell everything so that when it does get kind of cartoony and silly in the third act, it's earned. It does feel earned. You know, and it's like, all right, we can kind of let go and have fun. Like, yeah, we know realistically this kid wouldn't be able to pull this stuff off, but we're having fun. And we know these characters. We spent all this time getting to know everybody. And this is the big payoff. And that feels very appropriate. Whereas the second one is like, you're just coasting the fumes of the good, mm-hmm. you know, feelings we all had for the first one. All the goodwill of the first one is like, oh, he's in like this abandoned house. It's not abandoned. It's like a McAllister yeah, relative. The, the, the uncle who brings the family over to Paris in the first movie has relocated to New York, but is gut renovating 
a brownstone on the Upper West Side, and that's where Kevin goes and sets a trap. But, like, the toy store is clearly supposed to be FAO Schwartz, which is on the Upper East Side, and there's a whole... there's, There's weird geography in this movie, if you know New York at all, and, like, that's a very who cares... Well, weird geography, except for the famous uh, airport that is located in Sunnyside, looking over oh, Long sure. Island Oh, City. yeah, yeah. Kevin comes into a New York airport, and there is a gorgeous view of the Pepsi-Cola sign that is in Long Island City and the entire Manhattan skyline from the East River. That famous view you get at uh, LaGuardia. any of New York's... Or, or JFK, uh, yeah, even. Like, you know, flying into LaGuardia and landing and looking out the window and enjoying the East that River. Be- <laughs> that, that classic New York view. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's hard to do geography right for any city just by nature of production. You can't... You can't you know. do it. And, like, you know, for a movie that is clearly aimed at children, you need to simply go, look, we're in New York. Yeah. I do remember uh, one of the Fast and Furious movies has a big chase sequence in New York, and it's very funny because it kind of does the same geography thing of just like, we're in Times Square, we're down uh, by the World Trade Center, oh, Oh, we're in Central Park, Uh, now now we're in Harlem. Uh, Just like scene, like shot for shot, not scene for scene, shot for shot, just like... Wildly different places, and it's like you guys stop going through landmarks. You know, if you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna have sort of vaguely New York location, and then another one that if you live there, you know, yeah. But anyone else is like, yeah, I don't know, it's all New York. Whatever. It's like if you're going from Times Square to like, you know, Ground Zero. Ground Zero. That's a huge difference. People do know that those two aren't that close. I think. At least some people shot uh, for shot. You know, I I guess it's one of those things that like. Kind of on 9-11 was when we all figured out that no one knows New York geography because people who worked in Midtown were family members were like frantic. Like, right. It's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> no, no. I'm in 30 Rock. I'm yeah. all right. Uh, but I mean, yeah, with that being said, like there is a lot of that kind of just like Kevin runs back from FAO, not FAO Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, to... F.A. No Schwartz. Oh, F.A. No Schwartz. It took me a second. Very good. I got there. But you got there. And then runs back to this brownstone and has all these... Which is on 95th and Central Park (laughs) West. But fine, whatever. But then has all, uh, you know, these traps set up and it's just the third act of the first one again, except way more violent. Yeah, definitely an, an increase. Although... It's interesting that they swapped out because one of the the worst ones from the first movie for me was Daniel Stern stepping on the nail. Brutal. Brutal. Uh, And in that, they replaced it with a staple gun in the second one, which is much less Which is funny because it looks like when he's first set it up that it's a nail gun, which is like, holy shit. Uh, and then a staple gun, which like, is that even a thing? A staple gun? I, I mean, I know there are little staple guns. They are, guns. but they don't have the same trigger. Right. Like that was like a big hefty motherfucker. That's a hell of a staple gun. Yeah. Uh, so maybe like sometime in production, like, all right, we can't show him shooting a, a, a nail, nail into like, his face. Cause it'll, you know, a nail that'll into his face him. or like into his groin. Yeah. That'll hit some kind of artery. Yeah. <laughs> we maybe shouldn't encourage little kids to shoot nail yeah, guns. Yeah, exactly. That's something they might have access to everything else is just like he throws bricks at them from like the fourth floor yeah (laughs) that's like oh kill them he's cracking skulls yeah like that is a shattered skull that is brains on the sidewalk you know it's pretty violent it really is it also what's sad about like this one for me is because it's an abandoned or gut renovated apartment, there's no Christmas elements to any of these tricks. And it's like, oh, that was part of the fun of the last movie. Like, so this one feels like less of a Christmas movie. Which somehow. is weird because like, oh, Christmas in New York. Iconic. Right? You know, the, the climax is at the Rockefeller Center tree. Right. And, you know, a, a bunch of scenes take place at F.A. No Schwartz. Uh, so like, there's, which looks great, by the way. They did they an did amazing a, yeah, job. The production on that value set. is really good. Like, I love you know the Plaza Hotel, like all these iconic kind of locations, Christmassy locations, and yet it doesn't really have a Christmassy vibe. It's weird. Yeah, I don't. It's it's kind of a bummer because the first one is very 
You know, it's it's your your classic kind of peppermint hot chocolate <laughs> movie. It it just feels Christmassy. Yeah, and it's surprisingly heartfelt. I, I feel like a lot of critics also were just like, oh, it's so mean-spirited and so violent, which there's plenty of violence. Yeah. But it is also like heartfelt. Like a lot of that credit goes to Catherine O'Hara and She's amazing. John Candy and Macaulay Culkin. Like he sells that he loves his family by the end. And then the second one, there's a lot less of that. Even the big ending at, at 30 Rock just feels a little like, remember we did this in we the first the, one? But now, now there's the big tree. There's big tree. I think also uh, what really lets this movie down is the resolution of the pigeon lady yeah. plot where, oh, Kevin's her friend, but it's like... The resolution, it feels, it doesn't feel like she's in her own movie. She yeah. does feel like a side character who, like an NPC who helps who Kevin, helps Kevin. Ba- basically. Yeah. And as a reward gets fucking Christmas tree ornament. Thanks. That was very funny. Just like, <laughs> I got you this thing. Can I, can I eat it? Will it keep me warm? Will can it get I, me a job? Can I, can I sell wash it? With it? For, yeah. Oh, it's not even the full fucking ornament. I oh, can't God even sell this it. thing. Yeah. We're, you know, the... The old man in the first movie, like, we get to see him reconcile with his family, even though it's from afar, but we see it happen. We don't get any actual resolution to the pigeon lady story. And I know that it's like, oh, she's letting... She doesn't get a name. She lets... See, that would have been one thing where, like, if she had told Kevin her name at the end or something, that would have been a bit of a, like, oh, like, she's letting this child in to uh, like i it just doesn't work it just doesn't work really you know you said you have your moment when Catherine o'hara uh, comes into the house and kevin sees her and you oh get a little God. choked up I feel like for me, the moment that hits me harder is the old man oh, reconciling yeah. oh with my his God. family. And the fact that it's from afar and you you see Kevin seeing it. And it's kind of, again, seeing somebody else's movie exactly. playing out and like getting that finale and that resolution. And like this guy's life, you know, like all the mistakes he's made and he's yeah. fixing them and it's Christmas. That it's to me so is nice. such a nice moment. And this movie just... It doesn't just doesn't have, have that. that. At all. And it's like, uh, there's also the, you know, Kevin's reward at the end of the first movie is his family is back. Right. Even though he has to deal with the consequences of that. His reward in the second movie is stuff. Gets it's a lot of lots stuff. of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, um, and yeah, okay, it's the they do the same thing where it's like, oh, consequences because he charged a bunch of money. To, but for also, room service. it doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal. The McAllisters seem very well they off. They keep flying 14 people everywhere. They're, like, they're buying think, their whole family tickets to like all these different places, right? Paris I, like, and Miami. I know, that, I know that it's Uncle Rob who pays for the plane tickets to Paris, theoretically. I, th- I think I that's guess. established. Well, we see like, their house. But their house is like... Amazing. They live, you know, that house is a real house. I like went to college with someone who, who grew up in this uh, the same neighborhood. It's in, it's in Winnetka. And uh, yeah, they're fine. They're doing like, fine. You know, yeah, a $700 room service charges. Yeah, that's right. That would be a bummer, but I don't think that's going to cause them any financial strain. The funny kind of final consequence of the first Home Alone is like, Kevin, what did you do to my room? And yeah. it's and it's a buzz, yeah. which like makes sense. And then in the second one, it's, uh, it's his, his dad. dad yelling like, Kevin, you spent all this money. And first of all, he's yelling from the Crown Plaza. Oh, that's that's uh, really, really. I know this is you've you've officially made this a movie for babies. Sure, but even then, that's a little ridiculous. Because uh, yeah, Kevin's down in Central Park having his moment with Pigeon Lady, and then he hears his dad yelling. It's like the dad hasn't really been established as like a hot-tempered, like no. angry guy. Like Buzz has always kind of been Kevin's little mini antagonist. Not, yeah, mini not boss. The, yeah, not his dad. His dad has always. Seemed very nice. Like the to nice him. guy. Yeah. 
So that it just everything just kind of feels like a soda you left out overnight. Now, now it's <laughs> a little flat. flat, just a little it's flat. Like oh, I can the taste is similar. I recognize this as Dr Pepper, but it's flat and and kind of warm, and it's oh, just not a uh, crime. A crime. Yeah, it's just like oh, I want that fizzy, fresh, cold Dr Pepper mm. that I remember, not this flat, twelve-hour-old Dr Pepper. That's Home Alone too. Yeah, is a flat Dr Pepper. If if Dr Pepper would like to sponsor, sponsor us? this this podcast, please reach out. I'll also take Flamin' Hot Cheetos or Takis. Owned by the say, isn't Dr Pepper now owned by oh, Pepsi God, Cola? I don't know. Or Probably. I, I think they own everything. But yeah, it's just not as good. There's a few moments that are genuinely funny, sure. um, and you know. Everyone's doing their best, but yeah. just, it just doesn't hit the same. Yeah, they well, Stern and Pesci are just total kind of... They're just so... They're just absolute cartoons. Yeah, it's like Hanna-Barbera. It's like a Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah. level of, of kind of hijinks. And it, you know, it is a cartoony movie. The first one had cartoony elements, but it just they goes... They were grounded. A, it they goes were, too far. They were rooted in reality and... The, the fair amount of this is not rooted in reality. And that like that sounds crazy talking about a kid's movie. But it the the existence of the first one indicates that you you can actually like you can pull off that balancing act. Totally. And get it right. Home Alone is on Disney Plus and sure I think is. will be for a while because Yeah, they, those tend to kind of they stick everything. around. Yeah. So check out Home Alone if you haven't seen it in a while. It's pretty charming, pretty fun, a nice light, you know hour 45 to just yeah that's the other thing is the this second movie is it's two two hours hours long and like honestly an hour 45 they probably could have trimmed that down a a tad some of the yeah like him going out to the uh, store to get the toothbrush i get why they did it character wise but like didn't really need it kind of especially because there's the the other there's the grocery store scene it's like all right yeah i guess yeah so like there's moments where they could have come in at an hour 30 I think pretty easily. Sure. Uh, but then uh, the second one is like two hours and there's even less of you consequence You feel it. You here. feel it. You it's, really feel it. It's too long. It's way too Just long. Just because there's no real pacing. There's no build. Like the first movie you are building to the robbery of the McAllister house. That's very clearly like you feel right. that. Whereas in the second one, they try, you know, they say we're going to rob the toy store. So ostensibly that's what we're building towards, but we don't actually build towards it. All they do is they hang out in like some dollhouses in the toy store. Again, kind of stretching credulity there. Yeah. And like, I don't know, have them stake it out a little bit in the same way, like the first Home Alone, Pesci is in the opening scene where he's pretending to be a cop. Exactly. You know, finding out information and showing like, oh, he is actually kind of a semi-professional thief. Yeah. uh, Burglar. Whereas in, in the second one, it's like, you guys are hanging out, just talking to each other while people are walking around, like in the toy store like why don't you pretend to be employees or shopping right. for your grand or you right. know, your nieces nephews whatever yeah like i think I, clearly it was rushed i feel like if you had taken like another couple of months to flesh out this script yeah i know macaulay culkin was aging but like you probably could have gotten a couple more months in right there. that probably would have been fine if you had made it like i would have been intrigued to see this be a story about like the two brother about buzz and kevin learning to not be so antagonistic towards each other. That or like, you know, how they kind of have to stretch to make Kevin go missing again. Ooh, that, Uh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty... like the first one did a good job of, of showing how that would happen. The second one was just like, Boy, I think these parents really are uh, maybe not great parents. Someone needs to call CPS, yeah. perhaps. And also, it's just like a few too many coincidences, like screenwriter coincidences need to happen. And it's just kind of kind of makes you roll your eyes a bit. This yeah, like maybe want. maybe he goes on a school trip and gets separated from his class. Right. Or like you said, like him and his brother, you know, maybe like the family takes a trip to New York. I, I personally like the school trip idea. I feel like there's something you could do with that. Yeah. And then he has to learn to like, oh, he hates all his classmates and has to learn to like his classmates and have friends. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. Like, have him have a different arc because in the second one, his arc is, I hate my family and I have to learn to love them again. And like, no, that's the first that was a, you did You that. did that. You did that. Like, you hate them again? 
Like, I know uh, well, it's that kids. happens a lot, sure. but, but like, as an audience member, I already saw this. It probably doesn't help that we watch them back to back. Like, if it had been Definitely a couple not. of years, you know, that might right. have helped. But, uh, and if you are a child, you probably don't notice. Although, I bet you notice the same exact lines happening because, you know, it's intentional that they they used the same stupid lines though yeah. like would i be shopping on my own like and they do not only does that happen in the second movie where they take that basically verbatim that exchange which happens with the grocery store lady in the first movie but then they do it again in like within the movie within yeah. the second movie they do it like they do it twice yeah. and it's just like oh we get it please please stop please yeah so you know don't really uh you don't have to bother with home alone too i think or any of the subsequent homes alone there are so no. many no Apparently the newest one, you actually feel bad for the thieves, like the burglars, which like, come on, I don't want to feel for your for home invaders. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So that uh, is something that like, that's a real, uh, a home break in is like a real violation of your, of your, I don't, I don't really know. So, you know, watch the first home alone, ignore all the others, have a nice time. Yeah. And Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Whether you like celebrate a holiday or just kind of ignore everything or just get really drunk on New Year's or whatever, whatever, you know, hope your December is nice. Hope it's a December to remember sales event. Sponsored by Lexus. (laughs) I wish.